It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. on KJAC and Spotify co-streamed. Now, we have a very big show today. This is the first show that we've had in quite a little while. Uh, taking the summer off, going going back to Colorado, taking a break and and trying to to relax. Now I'm back. Now I'm coming in full time, and we have a great show today. Is the Clippers' bulldog mentality going to work? The Nuggets force a game seven against the Jazz. Can they take the series? The San Diego Padres have made a bunch of big moves, and the MLB is kind of failing. Is the NHL the replacement for the MLB? All of that and more on this edition of Up for Debate. But I want to jump in first with the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Los Angeles Clippers came into this basketball series as a favorite, going against the Dallas Mavericks the Clippers were supposed to be the better team. I mean, clearly they have more talent. They are more experienced. They have finals experience that this Dallas Mavericks team just never had. And the Clippers won this series because of that. Now, we saw a lot of really gritty play from both of these teams early on in the series. Kristaps Porzingis got ejected in game one. Clippers won that game. And it came from... Montrez Harrell and this team being gritty and getting in Luka Doncic's face and throwing him off his game because we don't really see Luka Doncic getting into to different scraps like that. I mean, he usually hasn't hasn't had series or games where he's been going after the other players, but in this Clippers series, I mean, he was a little bit out of his element and he was a little bit out of his zone to start the series and the Clippers put him in that way. But Luka Doncic is such a pro. He's such a good player that, I mean, it's not going to phase him. Once you get a guy like that who can just shoot the basketball, who can create so much separation and do all that Luka Doncic does, I mean, the Clippers can can do what they can to stop him. But, I mean, this year, this year they won the series. And Luka Doncic was bullied. I mean, Marcus Moley, Morris and Montrez Harrell bullied. Luka Doncic and I mean bullies bullies are 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 a good thing in the NBA for these young players Luka Doncic is going to come back better than ever and he's going to come back with a lot of character now what does that mean for the Clippers team are the Clippers going to be able to bully every team they face now going into next round they're either going to face the game seven winner of the Nuggets or the Jazz and that's going to be a huge game to determine if Kawhi and if this Clippers team can get by to the conference finals and it's going to be a tough game to try to defeat a Nuggets team that has come back and gotten themselves back into the series down 3-1 and we'll talk about that game a little bit more we'll talk about 
the Nuggets and the Jazz in that series in just a couple of minutes. But the Clippers coming in with this bully mentality, will that work? Will they be able to bully their way through this player playoffs? I mean, they have the talent. They have Paul George and they have Kawhi Leonard. And they got gritty guys. They got gritty defenders like Patrick Beverly, like Montrez Harrell. Marcus Morris, we saw, smacked Luka Doncic in the face. And they won that game even when Marcus Morris was ejected. I mean... Losing a guy like Marcus Morris sucks for a game, but if you can get inside of Luka Doncic's head, if you can manage to mess up the mental game that these young guys have, I mean, next round they're going against either <clears throat> the Utah Jazz with Donovan Mitchell, who's just been absolutely insane, or the Denver Nuggets, who have come down from 3-1, tied it up to bring it to a game seven. I mean, this is going to be a tough series, whoever this Clippers team plays, and they're going to have a hard time. I mean, Luka Doncic is great, but that team wasn't quite as deep. Once you go beyond Luka Doncic, and obviously Kristaps Porzingis was hurt for the latter half of this series, once you go past Luka Doncic, there's really not much there. I mean, Tim Hardaway is good, and he's shown some some flashes that he can really be a talented player. And we've also seen Seth Curry have some really good games. We've also seen Seth Curry have some really bad games. And this Clippers team is just a little bit deeper, a little bit more talented than the Mavericks. Now, next year, Luka Doncic will be back. Next year, Luka Doncic will be back in the playoffs. Kristaps Porzingis hopefully will be healthy at that time. And we'll see if they can put a run together. But for our first side of Luka in the playoffs, he has shown that he can be a bona fide superstar. I mean, this is a guy who can change the game of basketball. And, you know, there's always been these generational players, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, generational players, players who changed the game. And Luka Doncic looks like he can be one of those guys. He looks like he's that talented and he's that he's got that X factor. I mean, he was talented in Europe. He was a winner in Europe and he's done nothing but win here. And I know that he looked a little bit um, shook off his game. He looked a, a little bit unprepared for Marcus, Mola, for Marcus Morris and Montrez Harrell, but he took it like a pro. I mean, he fought back and he was tough. And that's something that you don't really see from a young guy who's only 21 years old, 22 years old at the beginning of his career, going up against some of the tougher players in basketball and Montrez Harrell. I mean, Montrez Harrell was was the primary defender for Luka for a lot of these games. And they had some battles. And Luka Doncic was the winner of these battles. Now, if the Clippers want to move on past this next round, past the Nuggets or the Jazz, they have a lot of work to do. Playoff P has to figure something out. I know he kind of got himself back into shape, had, had some better games at the end of the series, but... I mean, game six, 15 points for your second best player and Paul George isn't going to cut it. So the Los Angeles Clippers have a lot of work to do, but if they want to keep up this gritty mentality, they can go after some players like they did Luka Doncic. Next round, they can go after Jamal Murray or they can go after Donovan Mitchell because neither of those guys have the experience of gritty defenders going after them and, and giving them a headache and giving them a hard time. I mean, Jamal Murray, if, if the Jazz would have 
I mean, roughed him up, like Charles Barkley said, if they would have been more aggressive with him, is he scoring 50 points per game? I mean, is he playing as well as he is? Same thing with Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I mean, so a lot of questions there and a lot of questions whether they can get past the Clippers. Uh, But the Clippers are there. And the Nuggets and the Jazz, they have to worry about a game seven. Now, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, we will discuss game six for the Nuggets and the Jazz. How did the Nuggets force a game seven? I'll be right back. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. where I will be here live on Spotify and KJAC Radio. I want to jump into my second topic of the day, the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Now, this has been one of the best series in the playoffs. I mean, the Utah Jazz looked like the best team in the playoffs during the first couple games, taking a 3-1 lead early on. Donovan Mitchell has looked like an absolute stud, and he has made shots that... I don't know if anybody else in this league can make. I mean, Damian Lillard makes those types of types of shots, but nobody has made them as consistent as Donovan Mitchell has during this playoffs. And the shots that Donovan Mitchell are taking are big-time shots. I mean, he's been a big-time player this postseason and has made a big impact on this Utah Jazz team. Now, do the Utah Jazz have enough in the tank to take down this Nuggets team after losing the last two? After tying up the series 3-3, do the Utah Jazz have what it takes? I mean, and that's going to be a big question because their shooting in the first four games was incredible. They shot lights out. And if they can continue to shoot at that clip, if they can continue to shoot at that level, this is going to be a hard series for the Nuggets to win. But the Nuggets have made a bunch of defensive adjustments and, and they've slowed down the Jazz considerably. Uh, the Jazz have, have been incredible since game four, but they haven't peaked over 107. And that, that might not sound huge, but at the beginning of this series, the Jazz were scoring at least 124 points every single game. 125 in game one, even though they did lose that game. 124 in a game one win for the Jazz, or a game two win for the Jazz. 124 in a game three win for the Jazz. And 129 in a game four win for the Jazz. So the Nuggets knocking them down to 107 and 107 the last two games has been a huge improvement offensively. And this offense for the Nuggets has also taken a step forward. They've looked like a much better offense, much more put together. And that's because Jamal Murray has shown that he's living up to this massive contract that he signed. I mean, Jamal Murray signed a maximum contract and I've looked at it with ire for the entire time they've signed it. I was, I mean, I don't think that Jamal Murray was worth it. I don't think at the time they gave him the contract, he looked like he could be a star. I didn't think he was going to be a playoff X factor. And then this Utah Jazz series came. And Donovan Mitchell has been great, but Jamal Murray has been battling right with him, back and forth. And now with Gary Harris on this Nuggets team to improve that defense, which has struggled so much, I'm not sure the Jazz can get through a game seven. I mean, the Nuggets have all the momentum on their side, and they got a healthy Gary Harris. Now, he didn't have a huge game, only 21 minutes and only four points, 
and three rebounds, but he did have an impact on defense. And that's what they needed. That's what the Denver Nuggets needed was more guard play on defense. Because as much as Jamal Murray and Monte Morris are are good players, they're just not the best defenders. And when you put them on the court with Michael Porter Jr., it's kind of chaos because MPJ, Monte Morris, Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic all below average defenders, all not very good defenders. And I mean, this is going to be an interesting series to to see how this finishes out. Can the Nuggets keep their defense up or will Donovan Mitchell do more Donovan Mitchell things? Will we see more magic from Donovan Mitchell? So far, all we've seen from Donovan Mitchell is magic. I mean, he's draining every single shot. If he puts it up, it's going in. That's how it's been going for Donovan Mitchell. If he puts it up, it's going in. But can the rest of his team come together? Rudy Gobert with a double-double 11-11, and is that going to be enough against a guy like Jokic who offensively is going to, to score and offensively is going to make plays? And is Rudy Gobert making a big enough impact? I mean, early on in the series, Rudy Gobert was dominating inside. Nikola Jokic couldn't even defend him if he wanted to. He just wasn't a talented enough defender to do it. And if they can create separation inside, give Rudy Gobert a little bit more space on the drive and dish, this Utah Jazz team had something going. When they were running the drive and dish and trying to force the ball to Jokic's defender, trying to force the ball to the defender or to the offensive player who was on Michael Porter Jr., that's what was working for them. That's what they were having success with is going after these weak defenders. Because if you go after Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap, they're going to make a stop. I mean, those guys are good defenders. Nikola Jokic is kind of clueless on the field defensively, and Jamal Murray is not great either. So if you go after these guys who are really not that strong of an offense and can create separation like the Jazz have been, I mean, Donovan Mitchell hitting all the shots he's hitting, this, this isn't a series that the Jazz have lost. Even though this is going to game seven, they lost a 3-1 lead. They haven't lost this series yet. The Utah Jazz still have a little bit of Donovan Mitchell magic. Will it matter? Will Jokic and Jamal Murray be able to outduel Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? I mean, it's a, it's a two-on-two duo battle. The duo for the Nuggets and the duo for the Jazz. Now, which team has more depth around them? I'm, I'm going to have to say it looks like the Nuggets. But the Jazz have more defense. The Jazz have more shooting. And any one of those players isn't going to be defensively a liability. Jordan Clarkson might be on the Jazz, but the Nuggets have defensive liabilities all over the court. And they're always going to have one on the court because their best two offensive players are defensive liabilities. So the Denver Nuggets have an issue with that. But if they can offensively figure it out, if they can get their third score from MPJ going, which he wasn't really going in their win last night, only two points, but he did have 12 rebounds, led the team. If they can get these guys going, I just don't think the Utah Jazz can stop the Nuggets. Jeremy Grant has been incredible. Nikola Jokic has been incredible. Jamal Murray has been incredible. Can they slow down these scorers? Because if you can slow down those scores, you can win the game. But the Utah Jazz have a lot of work to do in that department. Now, looking at how the Utah Jazz can attack the Denver Nuggets, create separation, get your three-point shots going like they were going in the beginning of the series. 
get guys like Georges Nyang going. I mean, Georges Nyang has, has been incredible this series. He's shot really well. Get Mike Conley going. Get Jordan Clarkson going. I mean, there's so many guards on this Utah Jazz team that can shoot the ball. And if you can create that separation, make it happen. I mean, Gary Harris is a good defender, but he hasn't played in six months. And the Nuggets guard defense is really as far as Gary Harris and Torrey Craig. I mean, they're good. They're good defenders. But if that's all they got and not really much depth on the defense for the Nuggets, Utah Jazz have a big opportunity. Now, for the Nuggets, if they want to win this game, they need to keep the ball in Jamal Murray's hands. I mean, he's putting the ball in the basket. Plain and simple. He's putting the ball in the basket and he's doing it from every single place on the court. He's doing it on the inside. He's doing it from the outside. Step back three, mid-range jumper. Any way you can score it, that's the way Jamal Murray is going to score it. So double team Jamal Murray, throw a lot at him defensively and get the ball out of his hands and force it into Paul Millsap or Jeremy Grant. Force it into somebody else's hands and make somebody else make a play. Because Jamal Murray is beating the Jazz right now. Jokic has been great, but Jamal Murray is the one winning these games. So get the ball out of Jamal Murray's hands and stop letting him score 50. Stop letting him shoot the ball. Because as far as this Denver Nuggets team goes, they don't really have the best shooters. MPJ is a good shooter if he can get hot. Jeremy Grant if he can get hot. But Jamal Murray is the only guy who's been consistent. He's the only guy who hasn't had to go on a hot streak just to to play well in these playoffs. He's been on fire the whole time. So what will we see from this Denver Nuggets team? What will we see from Jamal Murray? And how will the Jazz stop it? I mean, the Jazz have this huge opportunity to, for, to win this game seven, to move on to the next round. Uh, I mean, they're losing the series. They're losing the last two games of the series. So they have some work to do. They have a lot of work to do, and we'll have to see if the Utah Jazz or the Denver Nuggets can figure it out. I think the Nuggets win this game seven. I think the momentum is on their side, and when they have scorers like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic playing the way they've been playing, it's just going to be tough for the Jazz to slow them down, and I haven't seen signs that the Jazz can slow down Jamal Murray or that they can defend him the way that that they need to, close off that separation, force him into bad shots. I mean, they haven't done that quite yet, and if they can't do it in Game 7, I just don't know if this Jazz team can win. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, the San Diego Padres have made an immense amount of moves. Stay tuned. The San Diego Padres have been making the biggest moves in baseball. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed, and we are jumping right in with the San Diego Padres and all of the different moves they have made. Today is the MLB trade deadline, 4 o'clock. So there is going to be a lot more moves, and we're going to talk about the winners and losers tomorrow. So make sure to tune in tomorrow to listen to that. But I want to jump in with the San Diego Padres because they have completely rebuilt their entire team and they just made a trade just a couple of minutes ago and I'll jump into that since that's breaking news Mike Clevenger the pitcher for the Cleveland Indians is headed to the Padres alongside Greg Allen and that's in exchange for a pretty sizable 
package. Now, this package is going to be Cal Quantrill, Gabriel Arias. And we're also going to see Cantillo, Austin Hedges, Naylor, and Miller headed to the Indians. So a huge, huge trade here for uh, the San Diego Padres, who have made it a commitment to themselves to compete this year. I mean, they've made it a commitment that they are going to be a competitor this year. They have some of the best players in baseball and Manny Machado and in Fernando Tatis Jr. They have the potential to make a deep run. They've had a good season. They're 21 and 15. They're currently one of the top teams in the NL West, just behind the Dodgers by five games. But they're looking at a good wild card spot. And this team has taken a bunch of steps forward. Now, I'm going to break down exactly what they've done over the last three days. It's a lot. So the first trade they made was for Mitch Moreland. Now, this Mitch Moreland trade was a huge trade because they want a designated hitter. They didn't have a guy to be their designated, designated hitter. And although Mitch Moreland is a gold glove first baseman, he's going to slot in in that DH spot and provide a lot of power, provide a lot of pop for this team that – really hasn't had all that much. So they got Mitch Moreland and they gave up a decent a decent package in Jason Rosario and Hudson Potts. Now Rosario has a high ceiling, only 20 years old, and Hudson Potts, he looks like he's got some great power. And he's a good guy in there to to bring into the minors for this Boston team. Um, I like that trade for both teams. Boston's not really a competitor this year. Boston's not really going to to make too big of a uh, of a uh, of a playoff run any anytime soon. So getting guys for the future, getting guys who have high ceilings, and I mean the Mookie Betts trade, they are in a rebuild. So Boston trading away one of their older guys, Mitch Moreland, and and bringing in a guy like Jason Rosario or Hudson Potts, I mean, that'll be a big move. That'll be super helpful for them in the future. Um, but Mitch Moreland comes, and he's going to be the starting DH for this Padres team, and that's going to be huge for them. I mean, they're going to need that. Next up, the next trade they made was for a relief pitcher, Trevor Rosenthal, one of the better relief pitchers on the market. The Padres decided that they needed to make a move. They needed to get a guy for that bullpen, and they've got a couple. They brought in a couple good guys to bring into the bullpen, Trevor Rosenthal being the first one, and they gave up a guy named Edward Oliveres. And Oliveres is powerful and he's got speed i mean this is a guy who's just got talent so losing a guy like olivares is going to suck but trevor rosenthal fills a huge need and this padres team still has a really really deep prospect pool they didn't really go too deep into their prospect pool they didn't really make too many changes Mackenzie gore still on the team they still have some of their top prospects so this team has the potential to still be very powerful, to still be very good for years to come. Uh, the next trade they made was for Austin Nola, Austin Adams, and Dan Altavia. Now, this one was probably the most questionable trade for me. I don't like this trade at all from the standpoint of from the standpoint of the Padres. They got a good catcher in Austin Nola who is probably going to start. He's a good utility guy. He plays all the infield positions and a lot of analytical teams really, 
really, really like Austin Nola. But is he worth a prospect like Taylor Trammell, who is one of the top five prospects in the Padres system? I mean, is he worth that much of a gamble? Now, they did get some relief pitchers who are going to have some impact right away in Austin Adams and Don Altavia. Austin Adams will probably go straight to the Padres' bullpen. So they do get a good package of players helping now. Austin Nola is going to be their starting catcher. Uh, him and Jason Castro, who they also just traded for, are going to, to be splitting time back there. Now, the Padres have Austin Nola, they have Jason Castro, they have the ability to move those guys around and have both of them on the field at the same time. So this just gives this team a lot of flexibility. Now, Austin Hedges has not really been all that great, so the fact that they got to move on with him and get a guy like Mike Clevenger to help that rotation, to help that team out, I mean, this team looks, it looks like they can really get good season together if they can finish out this season strong this is a team that can compete for a championship I mean they have the talent and their starting roster Trent Grisham Fernando Tadis Manny Machado Eric Hosmer Drake Conanworth Will Myers and then you throw in Mitch Moreland and then you throw in Aaron Nola and this team takes a big upgrade offensively you throw in those two guys and there's an offensive upgrade and now you look at the starting pitcher on this team <clears throat> and you got Garrett Richards, you have Chris Paddock, and now you get a guy like Mike Clevenger, who is one of the best pitchers in Cleveland. Now, obviously, Cleveland and Mike Clevenger had their falling out. And that was a big issue for this team because, I mean, Mike Clevenger broke the rules. He went out during quarantine and him and Zach Plessick, they – they broke the rules, and they were in the doghouse for a while for these Cleveland Indians, who have just been a, a system of producing quality pitching. I mean, that minor league system that the Cleveland Indians has has been producing so much pitching that the fact that they can move on from Clevenger and probably move on from Plessic today too. I'm, I mean, I, I don't see him staying on that team. I don't see him uh, getting a final spot in that rotation unless he takes Mike Clevenger's, which would be a little bit curious because uh, they did choose to bring Kev Clevenger up and keep Plessic in the minors. So I'm not sure what the Indians are going to do, but they have a great pool of prospects to bring up from, and I expect Zach Plessic to be moved. But the Padres bringing in a guy like Mike Clevenger, bringing in that much talent, that much skill to the starting rotation. I mean, he'll probably be the ace of this team. He'll probably be the best pitcher on this team. Chris Paddock is, is a up-and-coming ace. He's still very young, and he's going to be very good in the, in the near future. I mean, he's already been real good. He's already been real good this year. He's already looked good. So Chris Paddock and Mike Clevenger taking over that one-two spot with Garrett Richards. This is a new Padres team. This is a whole new roster, and they didn't have to give up an arm and a leg to get all these guys. Now, they did have to give up a guy like Taylor Trammell. They did have to give up a couple really good prospects, and that's okay because they've made upgrades, and they haven't depleted their reserves. They haven't depleted their best prospects. But Kenzie Gore is still there. 
they haven't gone to that well. And the fact that they have Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, and Luis Patino still on this roster is incredible. The fact that they could keep all these guys and bring in Austin Nola, bring in Mitch Moreland, Jason Castro for Gerardo Reyes, um, Trevor Rosenthal, a new closer for this team. I mean, this team is is ready to take a huge step forward. And if not this year, they still have the potential next year. And they still have the potential after that with Manny Machado under contract, with Fernando Tatis Jr. still super, super young and super, super talented. This Padres team has potential to win a championship. And that potential starts this year. When you get a guy like Mike Clevenger and bring him onto the team and you pair him with a catcher like Austin Nola, who's had such an incredible year, hitting 306 with five home runs so far, I mean, that's a big duo. That's a big catcher-pitcher duo bringing into the team. You're bringing in a new starting catcher and a new pitcher, a new ace. Can this team coexist? Can the chemistry in this locker room uh, survive. I, I mean, I, I think it will. I think Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, that core is going to stay together for a long time. And I think this Padres team has done a really good job during this trade deadline. Now I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, is the MLB dying? And if so, what is there to replace it? What's next in sports? Stay tuned. The MLB has had an insane amount of problems over this last year. Uh, the first problem at the very top of the food chain is Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred is one of the worst commissioners in baseball. And I mean, the, the baseball has ever seen, and it's really not particularly close. He's done nothing positive for this game and he's moving it in the wrong direction. And the players know this, the players know, and they don't like a lot of the things that, that Rob Manfred is doing that the MLB is doing. And a lot of the things that they're doing is putting baseball on a trajectory that they don't want to be on. Now, the marketing for baseball has already been abysmal. I mean, we don't see players marketed at all. I mean, Bryce Harper's been marketed in some Gatorade commercials recently. That's the only baseball player I've been seeing on TV. That's the only commercials about baseball that that I could even recognize. And Bryce Harper is one of the only faces that is recognizable for a non-baseball fan in the baseball world. So what's the issue? I mean, we have superstars like Mike Trout. We have some of the best players in the world. Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. These guys are not getting attention. They're not getting marketed. I mean, the intensity of that these guys play, the the talent that they have is is immeasurable and the MLB has found a way to put them in the shadows to not put a spotlight on these guys to not put a spotlight on their own stars so if the MLB is having all these issues and and they are how are they going to continue how are they going to grow because I mean the MLB wants to grow they don't want to get smaller they don't want to get they don't want to shrink because contracts are going up they need to get bigger they need more fans so what are they doing wrong? Well, first and foremost, they need to put their players on the map. If people don't know who these players are, if they see Mike Trout on the street and don't recognize him, that's the first issue. You need a face of baseball. And Bryce Harper has been the face of baseball for a little bit. He's been in these Gatorade commercials. But is he really talented enough to, to be that guy? 
I mean, Bryce Harper is great. Don't get me wrong. And he's had an incredible season, but he is no Mike Trout. He's no Mookie Betts. Bryce Harper is one of the best players in baseball, but he's not going to lead the Phillies to a World Series this year. I mean, he's just not that kind of player right now, and he's not on a team that's really competitive like that. So if the MLB wants to, to make that step forward, Mike Trout needs to be the guy they market. Now, Mike Trout is super boring, and he's not really fun to, to look at, to listen to, or anything like that. The only thing that is interesting about him is he's an incredible baseball player. But the MLB has made this game so boring that does anybody even really want to watch it anymore? Does anybody really want to watch the sport of baseball for three hours, sit down for three hours and watch a four-run game that doesn't really have that much intensity, that doesn't really have that much excitement? I mean, I have a hard time sitting through baseball games, especially during the regular season. I mean, regular season baseball, I rarely, rarely ever find myself watching unless there's a really good game on because I'd just rather watch another sport. If hockey's on, if basketball's on, if football's on, whatever's on, I mean, that beats baseball because baseball's a little bit boring. And I mean, there's players who are exciting and there's teams who are exciting and there's storylines that are exciting, but the MLB never pushes these storylines. They don't push the drama. They don't push all of this to the top. And the problem with this is they want to be this big company. They want to be this leader in sports, but you're not going to beat the NFL. You're not going to beat the NBA. If the only thing I hear about your players is Bryce Harper drinking Gatorade. I mean, LeBron James is all over the news. LeBron James is all over social media. Patrick Mahomes is all over the news, all over social media. Where are the baseball players? I mean, if you want to be competitive with the NHL, with the NFL, with the NBA, with these high-profile leagues, you have to do better to bring in the audiences. And a league that's been doing better and has been growing is the NHL. The NHL is fun to watch. The NHL is indoor hockey. It's gritty. It's aggressive. There's goals scored. There's great saves. This is better to watch than baseball. And I've never been a big hockey fan, and we'll be talking about hockey more on the show as, as we get later into the show, but what is the NHL doing better? And what is the MLB doing wrong? Uh, first and foremost, the NHL is fast-paced, and people want to watch fast-paced games. The MLB moves so slow, and the pitch clock and all of that stuff could be added, but it's not. A robot umpire could be added, but they haven't been because the MLB is so traditionalist. They want to stay with what they've been doing forever. And what they've been doing forever has worked, but it hasn't changed and nothing's gotten better. And getting towards 2020, over 100 years of baseball, do people still want to watch? 100 years later, do people still want to watch baseball? I mean, that's the big question that baseball has to ask. And if the answer is no, if people don't want to watch baseball 100 years later, what needs to change? How can you make this a sport that people want to watch? Now, the Oakland Athletics just had a positive coronavirus test, so they're going to miss a few games. And this season has had so many different 
positive tests for coronavirus, I'm shocked that they're still going. I'm shocked that the season's still alive, and I'm shocked that uh, that they haven't shut it down yet. But things are still going, and nobody has gotten significantly sick, so that is a good thing. Nobody has gotten sick and died at this point, um, as far as MLB players go. So hopefully people don't get sick and they can finish out the season without family members or baseball players or any of that uh, catching the coronavirus. So if they can finish out that season, that's a huge positive for the Major League Baseball because next year they're in a big contract dispute. Next year is the collective bargaining agreement and the MLB has a big deal to try to make. They've been taking advantage of the players for too long and I think it's about time that the players stand up for themselves. And I expect a, a strike next year if Rob Manfred is still the commissioner. I mean, Rob Manfred has proven that he doesn't have the player's best interest in mind. I mean, he said personally that he, his favorite part of giving out the trophy is seeing the look on the owner's face that won. Seeing the look on the owner's face that won the World Series. Is this an owner's league or is this a player's league? Because that's what separates the leagues that are successful from the leagues that aren't. The NBA, that's a player's league. The players run that league. They're in control. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, those guys are in control. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, those guys are in control. Marcus Morris smacked Luka Doncic in the face the superstar of the franchise, the superstar of the game, if not Kawhi Leonard. And Marcus Morris got thrown out because this is a player's league. They want to see the players succeed. They don't want to see the owners. They don't care for the owners. The owners are making their money in the background, and that's really all that matters. The players are the ones who matter. And the MLB hasn't put that focus on players. And that's been a big problem because if you don't put the focus on players, then who's going to play? Who's going to come out and win you games, if, if, if not for the players? So the MLB has a decision to make. What are they going to do during the collective bargaining agreement? How are they going to make this something that is beneficial to them and the MLB? And is this going to be a problem for the MLB in the future with a strike or a protest of next year? Because if that's the, if that's the case, the MLB is going to miss out on an immense amount of money. And who knows how long that negotiation is going to take because during the preseason, during the early seasons when the games weren't going on because the coronavirus was brand new and we didn't really know what it was. I mean, we had to watch the MLB and the MLBPA have countless disputes trying to figure out how to pay these players. And there was an easy way to do it. Just pay them for the amount of player games they played. Simple. Don't take their money away from them. Don't pay them less. Don't cut their games down to, to make it so you're paying them less. And the MLB had such a hard time. They were trying to take advantage of the players, and they kept sending the same offer like the players wouldn't notice. Well, the players noticed. The players noticed, and they weren't happy. And the only reason they're playing this year is because next year – is the real time to take a stand. Next year is the real time to take a strike. And the MLB next year could have big issues. And when the NHL is coming up, making power plays faster, regular season games more intense, 
the playoff hockey is is something that if you're not watching the Stanley Cup, if you're not if you don't have your eyes glued to the TV during Stanley Cup playoffs, you guys are missing out on something. Because right now there's baseball, there's basketball, and there's hockey. Basketball and hockey are both in playoffs. They're both in the most important games of the season and hockey has been intense. The Golden Knights had a big comeback last night against the or excuse me, they had a big comeback last night and they could move on against the Canucks and and move on to the next round and be one of the one of the last teams to to be an expansion team to to win in the first couple of seasons of their of their debut. So the the Knights, the Golden Knights who have been incredible since they've been inducted into the NHL, since they've been added to the NHL, they have an opportunity to make even more deep playoff runs. So we'll talk more about hockey as we go on in up for debate but that's going to do it for today thank you guys very much for tuning in make sure you tune in every single weekday from 10 to 11 a.m on kjack radio if you miss a show you can always catch it on kjack spotify i will see you guys tomorrow at 10 a.m